0: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show, we'll be talking Camp Cupcake, the U.S. women's national team DOC, MLS Final Four, Dogmatic versus Pragmatic, Orange Cards, the Civil War, Avalanches, and so much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Tuesday, November 28th, in the year 2023?
1: I'm doing well. My phone was blowing up last night. Lots of people sending me photos of you at a wrestling event. (laughs)
0: yes so for those watching the uh the pod you will see that i once again find myself out on the road across this beautiful country i come to you from the uh the wonderful city of nashville i was out here and as you mentioned last night i was once again privileged to uh, attend and uh and enjoy another wwe raw monday night event here at the uh at the uh the the arena um this was uh this was big this was a big event mossy all sorts of celebrities and stars and big to-dos going on uh a bunch of different stories not the least of which was the return of uh uh cm punk do you know this guy you ever heard of this dude this uh this wrestler uh, vaguely <laughs> well he's a big deal and uh he has been he has been out of the wwe for you know the last decade and he has finally as he would say come home. And so this was a he didn't even wrestle. It was just his return to basically where he started and where he gained much of his uh fame. So that was a uh, an emotional type of uh a thing. Yeah, Masia, uh, you're a big uh, music guy. You ever ever listen to the uh Jelly Roll? You ever heard of this uh, gentleman?
1: I have not. No.
0: Really? Yeah. Well, he's a, a Grammy award winner. And uh the, the, the kids love him uh, out there. He was there. He actually even participated in uh, in some different performances. and uh, it was fun. I, I I did not grow up with wrestling. I now, as uh, we for those who have listened over any length of time, you will know that I have now attended multiple wrestling events. I find them incredibly entertaining. And I will say this, Mossy, I have not gone to a sporting slash entertainment event and seeing the this incredible level of um and i think i tweeted it out this morning just just kindness and accommodation and it's intrinsic this is something that is ingrained in the wrestling culture and i'm talking about off stage the um the polite nature of Everybody in the cast, shall we call it, and whether it's talent that are in front of camera or, you know, the incredible people behind it, because it is an incredible production. There is obviously something that comes uh, over over years where they understand that anybody and everybody there deserves respect. And um, like I said, just a just an incredible um, shared belief that being good and being kind behind the scenes not only benefits them individually but benefits the wwe and the, and the perception there it's just amazing to see and i've been to a lot of different sporting events a lot of different leagues and all that kind of stuff i've never seen it at this level so they obviously know what they're doing and the success the success stands for them uh for, for it for itself so another fun night uh here in uh in nashville i got another uh uh, night here, and then I'm heading back to uh, Los Angeles. What have you been doing, my friend? You see anything interesting, or uh, want to let us in on anything?
1: I've been on a movie tear over the last week or so. I watched The Killer on Netflix. That's the David Fincher movie starring Michael Fassbender, and then went to the theater to see Ridley Scott's Napoleon, and also Maestro. That's uh, Bradley Cooper's biopic of uh, Leonard Bernstein.
0: Wow. Awesome. I love that. I was with uh, our our friend and colleague, uh, Clay Travis at the wrestling event, and he's a huge, huge history buff. And I'm right there with you because I am knee deep into get this. And and I completely found it randomly as I was scrolling through uh, Amazon Prime. I think it is. It is a 48 episode, half hour episodes, but 48 episode deep dive into the civil war uh and it's literally a professor i think his name is gary gallagher i think he's a university of virginia professor and this must have been done back in the 90s and they literally set up a camera in the back of a lecture hall basically and just had this guy go to town and he is amazing he is you know it is very much like a lecture or a ted talk type of thing there are some you know kind of uh um accompaniments when it comes to visuals and stuff like that for the most part it's just him talking about it and he is a savant when it comes to the civil war and he just goes through it before during and after and so i am knee deep in that i love it and then from a documentary perspective uh there's something on netflix called buried and it's about the 1982 alpine meadows avalanche and it's just a crazy story um of unfortunate in you know, a horrible uh, death, but also incredible survival uh, when this avalanche came. But it also goes into how they um, how they plan for, and how they adjust, and how they manipulate the the mountain in order to be safe, and how far the technology has come, because this obviously happened back in the '80s. So those are those are a couple of different things. Now the 48 episode one is not for the faint of heart. It takes it takes a long time. You can also actually listen to it evidently on Audible uh, for free for those of you that listen to uh, stuff out there.
1: My friend, uh, ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right, where do you want to start? Uh, The U.S. men's national team making news. They have announced their first match of 2024. They will play friendly against Slovenia in late January in San Antonio. This match occurring outside the FIFA window, so it'll be a mostly MLS-based squad. So this is
0: you know affectionately known as Camp Cupcake and for those that you know maybe are just coming to the game or coming to the uh the show this is a historic camp that for the most part involves players that um are either playing in MLS because obviously the season is not happening or can get away from their teams if they're playing in Europe and oftentimes that's because they're not playing or they're being released because they are not of importance to that uh, to that team so as we said for the most part It is, you know kind of a month there have been players that have come out of this camp that have gone on to star uh but traditionally it has been held in southern california obviously with the weather and then culminates with um, a game oftentimes it's not a very glamorous game it's you know a, a canada here or there and oftentimes to be quite honest the actual games are not that that interesting what i think is more interesting for people is to see who gets called in if it is relative to things that have happened recently or if this is a long-term type of project when it comes to what's going on here the interesting thing about this cup camp cupcake is that as you mentioned mossy it is it is being it is being moved to san antonio in a very small venue now i don't think that necessarily means that you that that they can't sell out a, or, or at least sell tickets to a bigger venue but that it's not being that it's not happening in uh in uh in los angeles um and they are going to san antonio and the us has been to san antonio uh years ago but i think that this is part of them trying to find other markets and i will be interested to see first off who gets called into that camp and yeah ultimately if any of those players find their way and parlay it into a much more permanent type of uh place on the roster because Massey, as we've talked about before this national team seems to be kind of set in stone i don't think i i don't i don't like that but i don't see a lot of changes happening we've kind of put all of our hopes and dreams into this generation that is matriculating up
1: Yeah, remember, the last U.S. squad only contained one MLS player, Miles Robinson. So Greg Berhalter does seem to be phasing out a lot of the MLS guys. I don't think it'll be the Walker Zimmerman, Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan types. Uh, It sounds like he's going to call up a younger team with an eye towards the Paris Olympics. Uh, But we've talked about how this U.S. team could use more depth. So it would be nice to see uh, some players seize this opportunity and impress in this game.
0: And look, ultimately, this is about impressing one person. That is Greg Berhalter. And to have not just multiple days, but multiple weeks in camp where Greg Berhalter can see what these players are and then obviously what they are day to day on the soccer field, but also just who they are. I think that that is a wonderful opportunity. I think it's an incredible advantage that you will have if you are lucky enough to be called into that. It is also notoriously um, hard from a physical standpoint uh many of these players if they're playing mls will have been off for an extended period of time so there's an opportunity i mean there's beep tests and all these different things that come out of it but there's also you know a lot of wonderful kind of stories and who knows maybe two years from now uh two and a half years from now when we are talking about the world cup in 2026 and we see that team play or even next summer when it comes to Copa america maybe we'll say you know that january camp even though we didn't know it at the time, was really, really important to player X.
1: As you mentioned, this match taking place at Toyota Field, which is home to the 2022 USL champion San Antonio FC. The last time the U.S. played in San Antonio was in April of 2015, a friendly against Mexico at the Alamo Dome. Uh, we covered that on site. Uh, you started at Fox in early 2015, so I, I believe that was probably the first U.S. match you covered for Fox Sports. I remember we had a fun few days in San Antonio. I attended a San Antonio Spurs game, so it's a great city. I'm, I'm glad that it's getting a U.S. national team game again.
0: Yeah, if I if I recollect correctly, that was not only my first time uh, on Fox talking about the U.S. national team, but I also I think I was in the booth uh, as uh, doing doing color commentary. And, you know, also, as you mentioned, that was what a lot of people thought was is and was the coming out for Jordan Morris. And while he certainly went on to do bigger and better things from there, I think when all is said and done when it comes to Jordan Morris, the. Excitement that we had at that moment, I don't think it necessarily has lived up to what a lot of the potential and what people thought Jordan Morris was going to be. But who knows, there might be somebody that comes out from this camp and these games that uh, that is that is special and maybe even better than Jordan Morris.
1: The U.S. has played Slovenia a couple of times before, most notably in the group stage of the 2010 World Cup. That was a 2-2 draw. Moedou had a goal controversially ruled out in that one. And not a day goes by where Moedou hasn't wondered how different his life would be if that goal had stood.
0: It's amazing, you know, sliding doors or whatever. So, all right, where should we go to now, Mossy?
1: Uh, we transition to the MLS playoffs. The conference semifinals are in the books. We had plenty of uh, refereeing controversy. Uh, we'll take it uh, game by game. First up, Cincinnati claimed a 1-0 home win over Philadelphia. Mosqueda with the goal and second half stoppage time. But it appeared that Murphy was offsides in the buildup. So this win for Cincinnati, not without controversy.
0: It's not without controversy in that these moments are things that we want to talk about and deserve to be talked about that's uh cincinnati on the day one should not be a surprise they were the best team through the uh uh through the year and they are the supporters shield winners they are flying they have the mvp in acosta and so that shouldn't necessarily be a surprise. but if i look at this moment that decided the game as the as the goal in the moment, and now that having looked at it time and time again, it's offside. And we as viewers were not given any other angle. And if VAR had another angle, that's fine, but it should have been shown to us so that we know what the decision ultimately um, or how the decision ultimately was was made, because it, it looks offside. And we know that the lines can play strange, strange tricks on you. And what looks... Completely off when you actually put those lines out there or have the angle on the camera, uh, it can show something completely different. But it was uh, it was kept on still bad defense ultimately. But uh, if I am if, you know, if I'm looking at it, I'm saying, hey, that's a big problem.
1: Listen. If forced to choose between how MLS does offsides and the Premier League, I would choose MLS. I don't like the exactitude that the Premier League applies to it. But I do think MLS goes a bit too far in the other direction. There's this reluctance to chalk off goals, which means they take the clear and obvious concept to a farcical degree. If you showed that play to 100 people and didn't tell them what the original call was and ask them what the outcome of that play should have been, all 100 would say offsides. But because it was called a goal, then we get into this thing where nobody's arguing he was on. But people are looking at different angles and trying to make the case that it was close enough that it then wasn't clear and obvious. And to me, you've kind of lost the plot there. I mean, the point is to get the calls correctly. So I do think Philadelphia got burned on that one.
0: And and this is another example of how if and when you were to, I guess, return or regress to a world where there is no VAR, and there's plenty of people that I, that I know and that I respect that say, I don't want VAR anymore. I want to return to that. We've said that the trains left the station, but if and if you were to do that, here's another example of immediately we as TV would be showing this and saying, "Well, this is ridiculous. This is horrible. This is a uh, a complete farce that they weren't able to get it." And here, clear as day, in front of it is video evidence that they that they got the that they got it wrong. And I don't know. Uh, I, I, I again, if it was. If it was a situation where Cincinnati was completely equal to Philadelphia and Philadelphia was completely in the game and Philadelphia had their opportunities and they certainly have a, a reason to be aggrieved here. But I think ultimately Cincinnati certainly was better, a, a better team through the season. And ultimately on the day, I think Cincinnati uh, was better.
1: Now you've been known to drop some big takes on X formerly known as Twitter. And did I see you say <laughs> a couple of days ago that you think this should be it for Jim Curtin in Philadelphia, He should move on to bigger and better things.
0: Uh, Listen, I have so much time for Jim Curtin. Uh, I think he is an incredible coach. I think that he is an incredible person. But, you know, and I I equated it with that scene in Goodwill Hunting where Ben Affleck's character turns to his best friend and knows that he is potentially destined for bigger things. And it almost hurts his friend that. Will Hunting is still there. I, I look at Jim Curtin and what he has done at Philadelphia, and by their own admission, less is more type of strategy. And I don't want to see him in Philadelphia anymore because that is how they go about their business. And I'm not saying if it's right or wrong, but Jim Curtin, I think, is better than that. And I want to see him in a more challenging situation but also i want to see him in a situation where he is given more and can maybe create more and we only have jim Curtin uh, at philadelphia which is incredible but yeah i mean and and look i know that there are so many different things behind the scenes when it comes to players or coaches and decisions that we all make Relative to what's best for not just of ourselves but our family and our life, that has nothing to do necessarily with kicking with kicking the ball, and I completely respect that. So I know I'm being selfish in this take that I'm I don't want to see Jim Curtin with Philadelphia. I want to wake up like Ben Affleck's character and turn on Philadelphia and not see Jim Curtin there because I know that he's gone on to bigger and better things, and that for me is what I care about the most because I think he can, as good as he is, I think he can be even better.
1: You mentioned uh, Lucho Acosta winning the MVP. Cincinnati is like Silence of the Lambs sweeping all the awards and they're now one step closer to becoming the ninth team to win the Supporters Shield and MLS Cup in the same season. Uh, the other matchup in the East, Columbus claimed a 2-0 extra time away victory over Orlando, Ramirez, and Cucho with the goals and extra time. By then, Orlando was down to 10 because Schlego got himself sent off late in regulation uh the crew moving on to the conference final
0: so all roads evidently lead to ohio so congratulations to uh, columbus uh Wilford nancy and company over there uh and this was i think uh comprehensive i shall say the better team won and not only that i think the better team went into orlando uh and yes they benefited from a red car but still they were uh better individually and i think better collectively and deserved this thoroughly this was not a smash and grab by any stretch of the imagination and so you know again you know right now by the way for a uh, what's the uh, what's the thing that ohio state does i haven't even brought up the ohio state michigan thing yet but what it's uh everyone against ohio or whatever well Nobody's against Ohio. Everybody's going to Ohio. It is, the, it is the place to be right now when it comes to Major League Soccer and when it comes to soccer. And no matter what happens, we are going to have an MLS Cup in, uh, in Ohio. Uh,
1: moving on to the Western Conference, LAFC with a 1-0 away win over Seattle. Dennis Buanga with a sensational strike.
0: My goodness. Uh, when, when Denny Buanga got this ball out wide, and it's all of this space. Everybody's getting out of their seat, and you think in this moment that Seattle has this has this down. That Roldan over there is going to track him down, and he's got an extra speed, and the directness, and ultimately the ruthlessness with which he pushes this ball ahead, gets into space, and then the technical ability with his right foot to curl that into the uh, the far side. I mean, it is it is something to behold, and you knew it because. Uh, You you could see it. You could see it materialize in front of you with all of the space opening up and they didn't look back. And then they needed to defend. And again, playing up in Seattle, not easy on that artificial surface. By the way, Collini also started in this game. On artificial surface, I think uh, they said it was the first time, the second time that he has played on an artificial surface. But when you got someone like Bwanga who is just feeling it on fire and has the technical ability and real deceptive, it shouldn't be deceptive because we've seen him do it all year, but real deceptive type of speed for the size of the player that he is. Whew, that is uh, that is good stuff for for him, for LAFC, and for. Uh, um, you know, for Steve Terundel and a possible return to MLS Cup.
1: Yeah, that's a big time win by LAFC. They are seeking to become the first repeat MLS Cup winner since the Galaxy in 2012. Also in the West, uh, Houston claimed a 1-0 home win over SKC. Escobar headed in a Hector Herrera corner. But then minutes later, uh, Shalhoui had a goal blocked by Zviachenko. Uh, On the goal line, I saw your uh, tweet. And I agree with you. Uh, this should have been a handball penalty, red card, absolutely scandalous that the referees didn't call that.
0: Well, so first off, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing the, uh, the goal, which was off a corner, by the way, left foot off of Hector Herrera puts it in beautiful. Uh, now the, the handball that was not called a handball, I, I again, I watch and I play the game as if, if it touches your hand or arm, it's a foul okay i know from a, a law perspective that is not necessarily true but in this instance uh Sviachenko is on the goal line and basically saving the ball from going in the back of the net it's it, for me this was a no brainer now this gets into the interesting question and concept of a natural position and so i guess Naturally, as you stand on the goal line, your frame and your arms out to each side will rest in a natural position. But if you watch this play, and again, since we're in the age of VAR, you have the ability to watch it and rewatch it. You can clearly see that he knows exactly what he is doing in this moment to save the ball and you can also clearly see in that split second that he realizes uh-oh this is not <laughs> this is not good and he got away with one there and again i would feel much more aggrieved and, and angry about it if sporting kc was a better team they were not they, you know they had some moments and johnny russell you know had some moments out out there but ultimately this was as far as this sporting uh train was going to go they lost to a better team in uh in houston houston moves on and they can yell and scream about the red card and and rightfully so but there were there were bigger problems ultimately uh not problems just they weren't as good as the opposition
1: Yeah, not since Torsten Frings and Hugh Dallas have I seen such a blown handball decision. (laughs) Houston, uh, one step closer to becoming the fourth team to win U.S. Open Cup and MLS Cup in the same season and the first to do it since the Galaxy in 2005. So the conference finals are set. Uh, It'll be Cincinnati hosting Columbus, LAFC hosting Houston. We have another podcast on Thursday. We'll dig into the games in great detail, but any preliminary thoughts on these two matchups?
0: Well, so first off, you know, again, congratulations. I, I think he is getting the kudos and the recognition, but I'm just going to keep heaping it upon Ben Olson for what he has done. And again, a Ben Olson who, before his move to Houston, was looked at as a you know we're going to talk about pragmatism later on in the show, but as a pragmatic, for lack of a better word, raw type of coach. And yet he has, because I think of the environment and the talent that he has, turned this Houston team into a really interesting, dynamic, creative, attacking, and dare I say even romantic type of team. And again, those are not words that we in the past have so associated with Ben uh, with Ben with Ben Olson. So that's uh, number one. Number two, you know, this is going to be, as you mentioned, teams that. Uh, either defending champions or already have won when it comes to Houston with the Open Cup, but also Hector Herrera and Carlos Vela, you know, and what they have meant, what legends from El Tri and from Mexico have meant to MLS right now coming up against these other. So I think there's a lot of storylines uh, going forward, and I think it's going to be fun to see both of these teams. One that we already know is elite and one that in very short order has, at least for this season, uh, stepped into that elite status thanks to Ben Olsen and all of the work that uh, they have done. That is it. All right, let's take uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a trip around Europe. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Let's take a little trip around Europe. Um, where should we start? Over there in Italia.
1: Yes, we had a top of the table clash. Juventus hosted Inter and finished one one. Both goals in the first half: Vlahovic and Lautaro Martinez. This result keeps Inter two points ahead of Juventus. Uh, Sean Sullivan has it the other way around in the rundown. He's struggling to juggle married life and his <laughs> career. Uh, Timmy Way is still out injured, but Weston McKinney started and played all 90 minutes.
0: Well, that's good for uh, Weston McKinney. And and again, we've talked about it over the last uh, over the last months about how fortunes have changed for Weston McKinney and, and what his last year has been. And you know, he's got an incredible knack to figure out multiple positions, which makes him valuable. But also, I think you are seeing and and sometimes, Mossy, even I, uh, I fall into this trap. This generation that we talk about, I mentioned at the top of the show, this generation of national team players, we forget that because of the, the new and um, valuable pathways and you know, multiple pathways that we have given this generation, it means that they have come into the spotlight and come into a professional situation at a much younger age. And so oftentimes we are talking about these players in their teens in the way that we would be talking about players in the past in their 20s. And so now that generation has grown and gotten into their 20s. And I think we're seeing, dare I say it, (laughs) a maturation of Weston McKinney. He's still a wonderful personality and and uh um and you know unpredictable type of personality uh off the field but on the field I think I think he's getting I think he's getting better and better and I do think you know you know here's a guy that now has played in the Bundesliga in uh the EPL and in uh, in Serie A I do think that playing in Serie A and in particular playing for Juventus it has forced him to think about the game and think about his position on the field, wherever that position may be in a, in a different, and I think ultimately a beneficial way to him, which is
1: good. I'm sorry. We have to take time on the air to do this, but Sean Sullivan is getting in my ear and pushing back on the notion that he messed up. The issue is inter is two points ahead of Juventus in the standings. And Sean, you have, Juve two points ahead of inter. You have the standings the wrong way around.
0: Listen, Listen, if you and Sean want to get together after the show and sort this out, that's fine. But I don't think that, uh, that that me or any of us listening and or watching should have to be subjected to the problems that you two may have. OK, so let's table it. Let's just agree to disagree when it comes to who actually made the mistake. And we will go on, shall we say?
1: Fair enough. AC Milan, incidentally, third. They beat Fiorentina 1-0. Pulisic and Musa both started that match. Next up, we head to France. PSG, a 5-2 home win over Monaco, Ramos, Mbappe, Dembele, Vicina Colomani, all with goals. And Balogun got one of the goals from Monaco. A nice finish on a breakaway.
0: It's it, you know, it's interesting because you know, when you are playing for a and I'm not going to say Monaco's a lower team, as you mentioned, uh, you know, they're 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 still fine, but there are are these super clubs, if you will, in every league uh, around the world. You want to kind of put your best foot forward, because even though people aren't sitting on the sideline with a, a, a contract, the reality is that if you put on a good show and if you star playing for what is considered a lower lesser type of team against one of these super clubs, it can resonate and you never know who's watching either on the sideline when it comes to the coaches, either up in the stands when it comes to uh, the leadership of some of these teams. And for every player, whether it's Balogun or anybody else, you want to go up the ladder. You want to pique their interest. You want them to look at you and say, man, this guy just took us apart. Um, Or at the very least, this guy was really, really good on a team that's not as good as our team. Maybe, And then they start to extrapolate it out. So look, especially for a goal scorer, you know the best possible way of doing that is score is scoring goals but i vividly remember in the past and i have seen it time and time again where players they don't they don't they don't reserve it for the better teams but they see an opportunity and the best ones are able to use that opportunity and most importantly just plant that seed so when it comes time to looking around at what are the options out there that seed hopefully has sprouted And produced a recollection in the decision makers that say, you know what, I know this guy and I remember what he did and maybe I'll take a chance on him. I know that's a long, maybe drawn out, uh, you know, look at just a goal, but it's important for someone like Balogun and the national team ultimately.
1: Uh, the big one in England, uh, Man City and Liverpool played to a 1-1 draw at the Etihad. Holland scored in the first half his 50th Premier League goal in 48 games. But then Alexander-Arnold equalized late. Nunez and Pep got into it at the final whistle. Uh, Arsenal finished the weekend in first place. And I do think they're very, very good. But this felt to me, City-Liverpool, like a clash between the two best teams.
0: Do we ever find out what the clash, what, speaking of clashes, what, the, uh, what, what, what they were getting into and screaming and yelling? Uh, after the game.
1: Nunez claims that the uh, city coaches were doing a lot of chirping throughout the match so that's why he went over to Pep and mentioned something <laughs> about it. And
0: <laughs> Well look, to your point uh, you know, oftentimes we talk about the runaway teams when it comes to many leagues including the, the EPL, but if you're looking at what, I mean the top four teams right now, so if you throw in Aston Villa right there, two points separate all four of them. Um, that's awesome. I think that's awesome for the EPL, but so you're, but you are, you're you're saying that there's really just two teams, which is Arsenal and Manchester City. Are you throwing Liverpool in there?
1: No, no. I just said I think City and Liverpool okay. are the two best okay.
0: teams. But okay.
1: Arsenal so are, you're
0: throwing the number one team out.
1: Yes, but I think Arsenal are very good too. They're they're third and not far off those top two. So I think it's it's kind of a big three this season. But I would rank it City, okay. Liverpool, Arsenal. Um,
0: and you're not uh, you're not having Aston Villa.
1: I I love them for top four, but not to challenge for the title. But I love what they're doing to am Emery. Fantastic. So, but so how can how,
0: how can you not have them t- challenging for the title if they're two points back?
1: Well, it's early enough in the season that it's all bunched up, but I think there'll be some separation there as the season goes on. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, Manchester United with a 3-0 away win over Everton. How about that Garnacho bicycle kick goal? One of the best I've seen in a long time. Eh?
0: I mean, look, the the bicycle in soccer. Even if somebody knows nothing about soccer, they know it because it, it, it resonates. Um, and you know, there's a reason why in Victory that is the pivotal moment of the film is a bicycle. It is, like I said, the ultimate moment of beauty and perfection. You know, the timing, the physical uh, necessity, all of that. Put together, and it is a a beautiful thing to see. We've seen plenty of them that are, you know, not quite bikes, and or just half bikes, or not really. And obviously, this is reminiscent of the uh, the Rooney goal. And you know, the the technical ability that is required, and like I said, the timing and the control of one's body is just awesome. And you know, if he probably tried this (laughs) a hundred times, it would happen once where he gets it all and first off just to get a hundred opportunities and we've seen the the eyes light up in players when they when it comes across and then you know they miss the kick or they bail out at the last moment or the thing goes up into the stands and stuff like that so this is something that will live on will always be associated with him and rightfully so because it is it's beautiful because it's pure there's at no point in that did you think that he was half assing it or pulling any type of p- of punch?
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought of Rooney versus Man City right away. Also, Ronaldo against Juventus in the Champions League a few years back. And my favorite all-time bicycle kick goal is Rivaldo against Valencia in 2001, especially when you consider the circumstances surrounding that match. But yeah, there, there's something about a well-executed bicycle kick goal that's very exciting. Um, Everton fans protested their 10-point uh, deduction for financial fair play violations. Uh, this story has been interesting because everybody's looking at Everton and thinking, well, what does that mean for Man City, who have way are alleged to have committed way more violations everton getting punished first it does feel like that scene in the movie airplane where the guy with the machine gun walks right past security while the old lady gets grabbed (laughs) so uh but yeah so i mean in light of this everton story are you now expecting man city to have the hammer laid down on them
0: well so i want to make sure the protest of the evertonians was not that they didn't break the law right or or the rules it's that if they did it then everybody else not only has done it but even you could maybe but they're making the case that not only everybody else has done it but they've done it even more so and so if you're going to punish us then everybody should be punished right
1: yeah that seems to be the gist of it yeah
0: i mean that is that is legitimate okay except in this case uh in the everton case they were found so the process happened And a decision was ultimately made Um, that might indeed be the case when it comes to Man City and and anybody else out there that a process will happen and they will have been found to have done equal or even worse things and they should get punished. And so I I completely understand, uh, understand the uh, the protests going on. I think that they are worried, as a lot of people, I think, fairly could be worried that it's different treatment. For different teams going forward, and so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what ultimately the answer is, but have you seen Mossy that you know Pep's talking about it, and there seems to be a much more open type of discussion when it comes to Man City about the possibility. Because normally in these situations you say no, we're not, we're not talking about it. It's not even something that we're thinking of, uh, of right now, and yet they're constantly talking about it, and well, that makes me think that. At the very least, there is stuff that is going on that potentially could end up in not just you know ten points, but maybe even more so if they are found to have done even uh, even worse things. And ultimately, the numbers are there, so they should be able to look into the numbers as to what was reported and what was reported, and whether it was, I guess, by the letter of the uh, the EPL laws, legal or not legal.
1: Next up, we head to Germany. Uh, Dortmund trailed Gladbach 2-0, then came storming back in 1-4-2. Scally started for Gladbach. Gio came on at the start of the second half for Dortmund.
0: Well, good win for Dortmund, but, you know, Gio is, you know, continues to be a, a substitute. You know, Joe Scally obviously, with the Sergio Dest uh, situation is, I guess, taken on more meaning. Um, and he continues to to start which is why everybody has gotten over the last few years excited about Joe Scally and what he is and potentially what uh what he can be um but I think when you look at i guess the the importance uh or the impact between these two players Gio is in a whole nother stratosphere uh when we talk about you know discussion of what he can relative to the uh relative to the men's national team but ultimately From a Borussia Dortmund perspective, whether it's with Gio or without Gio, they're getting the results.
1: And finally, in Spain, Real Madrid, a 3-0 away win over Cadiz. Rodrigo scored two sensational goals and assisted Jude Bellingham for his 14th goal in 15 games this season. That's the most goals anyone has ever scored in their first 15 games for Real Madrid. Cristiano Ronaldo and Alfredo Stefano each got 13
0: Let me ask you something, Mossy, when it comes to Bellingham, because over the last few months, I know you and and others have said, well, this is this is rarefied air. This cannot last Um, that it has lasted. Will you will you reassess the player or will you just say it's lasted because it's still I I don't I want to use I don't want to use the word lucky, but. The way that it, that this player has been framed is that this is not normal. This is not typical. At what point do you and others look at this player and say, "Okay, this is, I guess, the new normal. This is the new typical of what he is," or do you still feel at some point there's going to be this regression? And I know you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't go, "Oh well, I told you so," because it's gotten well beyond that beyond that point. So it's not just a blip. It's not just a, a you know a um, a a good vein of form that has finally come back down to normal.
1: No, Certainly with Real Madrid, we're getting to the point where this might be the new normal and we have to talk about him as a prolific goal scorer. I do wonder if this is at any point going to carry over to England because we obviously have the Euros next summer, England one of the favorites, but Jude Bellingham only has, I think it's two goals and 27 caps for England. So if they can unearth this Jude Bellingham on the international stage and have him become a prolific goal scorer there, then that takes that England team to a whole other level.
0: I mean, but this is the age-old discussion question and challenge for national team coaches and for national teams is you have this template and you have this uh database if you will of a player doing something but they're doing it in such different circumstances and obviously the league that they're playing in even the position that they're playing in and then the players that are around them how do you replicate as good as england is it's difficult for southgate or anybody to construct a similar type of situation in the england camp (laughs) because they you know for the last couple of years i mean they're headed in the right direction and you almost have to kind of tear it down in order to accommodate this player and yet there's player you know, there's few players on the earth that are doing what he is doing right now.
1: And yeah, Real Madrid and Girona level on points atop the La Liga table. Uh, match day five of the UEFA Champions League is off and running games going on. As we speak, we have another pod on Thursday. We'll recap all of that. Uh, Milan versus Dortmund. Gio starting on the bench for that one. PSG Newcastle. We've got Real Madrid Napoli, PSV Sevilla, Galatasaray, Manchester United. So lots of big games. We'll recap them all on Thursday in our second pod of this week.
0: Yeah, we're already getting news that uh, Giorena is on the bench, and like you said, we will talk about all those different uh, different games. We, when this pod is over, we will be heading off here in Nashville and you back in LA to watch uh, watch those games. And uh, you know, we apologize that this pod is getting out a little bit later. Couldn't be helped with my travel schedule and everything, uh, everything like that. But we're not going to go too much into the uh, the UCL here. Um, and uh, like we said uh, on our next pod later on this week, we'll kind of wrap up uh, what we have all seen. All right, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, ooh, it's time for Ask Alexi. We got some juicy ones, I think. Hey, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you uh, send in your questions. You can use that hashtag Alexi out there on all the uh, social media platforms. Keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline which is 657-549-2297. That is 657-549-2297. Mossy, what do the folks want to know this episode? Uh,
1: first up, we have a question on X, Nicholas De Mesuria. He asks, "Would you rather have as your favorite team's coach a person who is completely dogmatic in his thoughts and approach or one who is completely pragmatic i ask as a suffering austin fc supporter
0: oh well first off nick thank you for uh the question thank you for using the hashtag ask alexi out there makes it a whole lot easier um okay i love this question uh and we talk a lot about romantics in the game or romantic notions in the game and this evergreen type of discussion and debate back and forth of you know pragmatic versus dogmatic if i were to just answer it quickly i would say that i would want a pragmatic coach for the for the simple reason that winning trumps everything okay um however i've said this before if there is a romantic notion, if there is a romantic approach from a coach and manager or or an organization in general. First off, I want it clarified. Um, I want it obviously known internally and externally. And I guess most importantly, if and when things go bad, because they inevitably will go bad. I don't want a betrayal. Of that because that tells to me that it was all bullshit in the first place and believe me too often we have seen that so if you are going to be that romantic and you know be that dogmatic to a specific type of style then you better own it, and you better die on that hill. and I will have more respect for those that do that. Now, well, there are others that go back and forth and as the wind blows relative to just winning and I, and so I know I've answered this kind of both ways, but if I just have one answer, it's yes. I still would go with uh, with pragmatic because I think it gives you the most ways to go. And I think ultimately it gives you the Trump car, which is winning. And oftentimes while people will talk about romance and they'll talk about style of play and they'll talk about ideology and they will talk about this, ultimately, they just want to be the winner at the end. They want to be standing with the trophy. They want to hear, we are the champions. They want the confetti. They want the music. They want the money shot. And they don't really care how we do it. And I've, I said a couple of weeks ago, when it comes to 2026 and the World Cup, we'll talk all about style of play and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, from an American perspective, nobody would care at all how the U.S. won the World Cup, if they won the World Cup.
1: Mossy? Uh, All due respect to Nicholas, but a suffering Austin FC supporter, you've been in existence for three seasons and you got to the conference (laughs) final in one of those. Not exactly a pre-2004 Boston Red Sox situation, but fair enough. Um, Next up, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Alexi. Hey, Mossy, This is Jerry from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Just giving you guys a recommendation. I do top 10 movies of the year, and believe it or not, my number three of the year is coming out this Friday called The Next Goal Wins, which basically tells the story of how American Samoa tried to qualify for the 2014 World Cup, and we all know how they pretty much rank dead last in the FIFA World Rankings, but it's a comedy, and it's actually based on a documentary of the same name, so would definitely recommend you guys check it out, and if you are taking the recommendation, let me know how the movie goes for you guys. Thanks, and keep up the good work.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Jerry, uh, for calling into the State of the Union podcast hotline. And thank you for that recommendation. Obviously, from a soccer perspective, I think a lot of people in the soccer world are aware of this movie coming out. And many of them know the story. You mentioned the documentary when it comes to Thomas Rangan, that this story is based around in terms of the main uh, the main character. It's I, I suppose it will be difficult for many that know Thomas. I have known Thomas for years, just saw him actually in Miami a few weeks ago he was my coach um he has become a living legend when it comes to the american game uh you know his when he came over played in the NASL and then has gone on to coach and work in in, uh, in television and if you ever get a couple minutes to sit down with thomas rongan take that t- that couple minutes because you will laugh uh and ultimately i think you will be informed because of the incredible history that he has so i think it's i think it will be difficult for those like myself, that know Thomas to look up on the screen and to see him portrayed. And we all know that Hollywood takes characters and they do things to them in order to make them as broad and as appealing. And oftentimes they don't resemble anything like the original uh, the original character. I'm not saying that that has been done and ultimately I can, I can appreciate a movie even though I maybe have a connection here or there, or I'm looking at it and saying, well, that's not true or that's not the real type of thomas i don't know ultimately how thomas was portrayed but that it is even in your list here as one of your top 10 movies that's great um i have read varying reviews of it but i will definitely see it because the story is amazing for what thomas did you know not just the, the the coaching but the adventure that he went on and the connection and now you know this um you know that like i said this incredible adventure and this incredible story that he created by taking a chance and them taking a chance on him so i will definitely see it Masi, are you going to see this
1: i will yeah american Samoa, incidentally on the wrong end of the biggest blowout in international soccer history they lost a game 31-0 to australia back in 2001. that match was evoked recently when france beat gibraltar 14-0 in euro qualifying uh, we have another voicemail. Uh, let's take a listen to that one right now.
0: Hi, Alexi. Hi, Mossy. This is Smitty from Connecticut. My question is, is the whole desk thing occupying everybody when the reality was there was only about 45 decent minutes over this last window uh, in two games against Uh, a team that has players that are primarily playing in the Canadian Premier League and USL. Isn't this a real significant problem? And what is the solution to that problem? Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Thank you, Smitty, uh, from Connecticut. I mean, I don't think that we glossed over the performance in these two games and i also don't think that we were blinded by the fact that the u.s went on i actually think for the most part whether it's us or anybody else out there you know we did look at these games and yes there were troubling moments but perspective is also necessary and you know while trinidad and tobago isn't a great team and the u.s losing to trinidad and tobago at this point i guess it's to be expected given our our history i guess our recent history but in general that should be concerning but that doesn't preclude the u.s players or team from going on and doing and doing great things and i don't think that the death situation when i which i think we rightfully talked about um i don't think that that should not have been talked about. And I don't think that that gives cover to Greg Berhalter or to this team about what was a very underwhelming window. And you can add up the minutes however you uh, however you want, but just in general, this window was, was not good. And yet they are still going on. And maybe this goes back to that question that Nick asked us about, you know, pragmatism. Um, Ultimately, they got the job done. But I hear what you're saying, Smitty, in that is that enough now as we look towards 24 and Copa America and then as we look towards 26 and the World Cup? Is it just enough to get the job done, especially against a team that you are superior to in Trinidad and uh, and Tobago? And not only to to not – well, you got the job done, but in getting the job done, you lost – And again that goes back to you know i i want people that win and win consistently but you didn't look good even in the win that you had you didn't look good so yeah i i i I think we're all i think we were all concerned with this with this window and it puts that much more pressure going forward over this next six months on greg berhalter but it's all just pushing it's just kicking the can down the road to the summer at Copa America, in which case he has to do something big with this team. And we have to see something different. We have to see an evolution. And ultimately, whether it's Smitty or anybody else out there, for Greg Berhalter to continue at the end of Copa America, you have to feel, all right, we're heading in the right direction. You might not like Greg Berhalter, and some people are never going to like Greg Berhalter. But at the very least, I would hope if things go well for Greg Berhalter and, and his team over the summer, that you are left with a feeling that says, that's different than this past window, that, that feeling that you have, but says we are heading in the right direction, and I'm good with continuing on with Greg Burhalter That's it. All right. Thank you to everybody for all the different questions. And like I said, whether it's uh, the voicemail on our hotline at six five seven five four nine two two nine seven, or whether it's your Ask Alexi questions out there on X or any other social platforms out there, send them on through because uh, we enjoy them and they uh, um, they get us to think in, uh, in different ways. So thanks to everybody there. We'll take another quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show, and I'll give you my one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. Uh at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, have you heard about the orange cards that are uh being rumored to be uh looked at when it comes to FIFA uh going forward? And for those that may not know what this is all about, um we've long talked about the possibility of adding an intermediate type of punishment. Obviously, we have just a foul that's called where there's you know, a foul, but nothing happens individually to a player. But then we get into a yellow card or a red card. And the difference uh, and the the space between a red and a yellow is vast, but there's nothing that fills that space. masa you know what we're talking about? Have I laid it out correctly?
1: You have, yeah, and I find it very interesting. Okay, so
0: the orange card, orange card possibility would also be in tandem with a possible penalty box sin bin type of punishment so you get a yellow card you get a yellow card right um not good and certainly worse than an actual foul uh, or a foul where you get nothing but then as a player does something else is there a color and a intermediate type of step that we could use so that The game is not drastically changed because we all know we've all seen it. We've seen it in the referees face. We've seen it in fans face. We've even seen it in the plans face where that red card by the letter of the law needs to be brandished or is not brandished because of the severity of a red card. We all know that a red card fundamentally changes the game, just in terms of the numbers, but also in terms of the mentality, and it changes the entertainment experience for fans in the stands. So I think that if this comes to fruition, I think that this is going to be looked at, unlike maybe VAR or some other things that have happened in the past, I think that this has the potential to be... um, not just not just not just change the game but fundamentally change the game in a positive way because ultimately uh, i i want to do things that are better for i'm not talking about player safety that's obviously paramount but people that are watching the game i don't want to cheat people out of good soccer i don't want to cheat people that have paid money in many instances of a full experience of the game. And part of a full experience is having full teams, is having players out there that you want to see. And because there's such a huge distance and gulf between a yellow card and a red card, and the severity is so dramatic with a red card, having something in the middle, but also with the recognition that it's not just a card that's thrown out there. There is a punishment attached in the form of a penalty box, in the form of a sin bin where there is a time where the opposition does get an advantage i think this is a no-brainer i think that this can be implemented i think it can be implemented with you know there's going to be pushback but i think it's going to be limited in terms of the way now the devil's in the details we all know and this is very preliminary but this has been talked about for a long time and I think it would be beneficial to the uh, to the game. I think I think if you ask any referee, they would love to have something else in the same way that a judge who looks at the law in front of him or her and says, I have to give this. This is a mandatory type of sentence, Uh, but I wish that I had something in between. And oftentimes, by the way, in the law, in the law of the land, we do have many different things, whether it's involuntary manslaughter or you know and murder and all the different things that we have in between but in soccer it's feast or famine it's either one side of the spectrum or uh, or the other and so I think that this would be something that I would be in favor of and I look forward to seeing more of the details as we get going
1: must Yeah. As you know, I'm a traditionalist, but I don't hate this. Uh, In fact, I even wonder about it replacing the red card and maybe doing away with the whole concept of a team having to play a big chunk of a match uh, down a man. So yeah, I'll be curious to see where this all goes.
0: No, 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 no. So you're, that would be like the American football version where somebody gets kicked out of the game, but you still play with the same amount of players.
1: Well, no, yeah, you, you, you The penalty box concept. So so the harshest punishment you could get is the penalty box concept where you're out for a part of the game, but not necessarily the whole game.
0: Oh, you know, no, I've no. Also, I think there still you, has you, to you be... You still think
1: there has to be, like, a, for the very, very serious offense, there does have to be that ultimate punishment of being out the rest of the game.
0: There has to be murder, <laughs> there has There has to be... <laughs> there has to be... A life sentence, death sentence, whatever you want to call it. OK, but the ultimate sentence where no, you are no longer you do not have the privilege to continue to play in this game because what you have done is so egregious and we are going to take you out. And for the rest of that game, you are going to be punished because you are your team is going to be punished because you are not going to play. Yeah, I do. I don't. I, I no, I don't agree with you there.
1: Fair enough, All right. Fair Anything
0: enough. else, Mossy, before we uh before we go? Uh
1: one last thing. We mentioned earlier that on Saturday the Columbus Crew won. Uh, another Columbus Ohio sports team <laughs> suffered defeat that day. I am just curious, how is your wife coping with this one? So the
0: good news was that um you know the well the bad I guess the bad news to your point, my wife a huge Buckeye fan was that the Buckeyes lost. But the good news was um i I was not yelled at for anything for the rest of the day, uh, because she proceeded to not talk to everybody for a long time. She takes it very, very seriously, and the f-bombs coming uh, again around the house as this went on. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I was with like I said, I was with Clay Travis, who does a lot of college football. He says that, the Buckeyes now only have like a 1% chance of going to this final four. I was under the impression that it was more because on their record, the only loss of the year is against Michigan, which we know is going to be ranked in the top, uh, in the top four here. Um, and so my wife, you know, at the expected cheaters and you know, all that kind of stuff, given what's going on with Harbaugh and all that, all, all that. So, um, but I, I was proud of her because she popped out of it eventually and was, um, back to the land of the living and not screaming and yelling uh, going forward but she was not happy and she she definitely has thoughts that could last a full podcast about the situation between michigan and ohio state
1: now on the topic of college rivalries i mentioned during the break we were talking off air that i spent some time in westwood recently which is ucla and i had a lovely time there aaron Schechter, very defensive got in our ear talking about how superior usc is and it's the much better college experience so that usc ucla dynamic it is very heated
0: but you have been to westwood right we've established this right i mean you've been to the the, the- the, the area of Westwood. It's not your first time that you've ever been to Westwood, right? Uh,
1: correct. Yeah. Okay,
0: good. So so I uh, I I have a, a Westwood story. Many, many years ago, playing for the Galaxy, we finished uh, and uh, we we won the... I can't remember what it was called back then. It's now called it again, right? The CONCACAF Cup or whatever. So we were the champions of CONCACAF. And the celebration took place in Westwood. I cannot remember the name of the place. All I remember is that the, the bar... But bars were really low and there was like seats, but like low seats, almost like you were in Vegas playing video poker or something like that. Kobe Jones organized this and, you know, he is a UCLA alum, proud UCLA alum. So we went to Westwood and we had, uh, as far as I can remember, a really, really good time celebrating that. But uh, Westwood, Westwood is fine. USC, the area of USC is is fine, too. I am, uh, you know, I am. Agnostic. I I I love both of these great institutions. Um, we were told, all, although you have to take a car and go up to Pasadena if you are a football fan of the Bruins, as opposed to playing on campus and just walking to, uh, I guess, what would be the Coliseum if you are a uh, a Trojan. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Yeah,
1: from from a sports perspective, it basically breaks down UCLA is a great basketball school, USC is a great football school. When you're walking around Westwood, you stop and think, "Wow, this is where Lou Alcindor and Bill Walton, John Wooden, people like that once walked around." Well, USC, it's, you know, O.J. Simpson, Marcus Allen, etc. <sighs>
0: I love you, Masi. All right, listen.
1: One of my my favorite ever moments is when we tried to poke fun at Aaron once about USC's greatest ever football player being OJ Simpson, and she gave this kind of blank stare, and it dawned on me, not only is OJ Simpson the football player before her time, but OJ Simpson the murderer is as well. She has basically no recollection of that whole deal, so it it meant nothing to her that we brought up that name.
0: Well, you know, so now we've mentioned – well, that, at least we know who Jelly Roll is. Yes. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, fall on that one. That's, uh, that's what we have. All right. Listen, uh, whether you're young or old, we appreciate that you listen to the State of the Union. Uh, and whether you're watching it, whether you're listening, whether you're, uh, you know, downloading it and rating and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do, we appreciate the fact that there are so many of you and that, you know, the age we have older people. And we have younger people because it's soccer; it's for everybody. And we like to think that the State of the Union uh, speaks to multiple generations. Whether you know who OJ is or whether you know who Jelly Roll, Jelly Jelly Bean, Jelly Roll is or not, doesn't matter. Just listen to the State of the Union. We will be back again later on in the week. Enjoy your soccer. Uh, I will be back from the great uh, city of Nashville, so I will be in studio with my good friend Mossy. We will talk to you again then, and until then. And as always, my friends, size the day.